following Sunday School session is part of our study in the book of Philemon. For more information, visit our website at www.graceprovidencechurch.org. So just as a reminder, uh, always context is king, and the historic redemptive arc uh, I talked about last time starts in creation it goes through the fall where men rebelled against God and they enslaved themselves to sin so God created them without sin they took it upon themselves to disobey him and they enslaved themselves us to sin God doesn't eradicate them immediately he tells them the, the day that they eat of that fruit, dying, they will die. And we know they didn't physically die, but they died spiritually, and they began to die physically. And he let them go. He let mankind go and grow until a time in which he intervened and said to Abraham, took Abram, and made a covenant with him and said that he was going to give him a lot of people, a lot of children, and they were all going to be God's possession. Through time, uh, that grew into the story of um, Israel and his children, Jacob and his children. And uh, Joseph was enslaved, one of the primary slave stories. But he was enslaved in order to save his people. They ended up going into slavery uh, as a result, um, all in God's plan. And then God called, called Moses to lead them out of slavery. And he gave them the law, and the law regulated slavery. And we looked at that in detail last time. Towards the end of the Old Testament, we see this progression of revelation, and we see that there's multiple exiles and multiple promises that a Messiah was going to come and that he would deliver his people from captivity and set them free. So that's that historic redemptive arch all through the Old Testament. So we're going to go into the New Testament today. But before we do, I want you to know, Redeem means to buy back. To buy back. Mm -hmm. So we're already talking about God redeeming people, buying people. In other words, buying slaves. And, and I'll back that up in the New Testament a little, a little later. The Messiah is going to fulfill all things. But the theme of slavery looms large in the Bible. Really large in the Bible. Look at my servant, whom I have strengthened. He is my chosen one who pleases me. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out the flickering candle. He will bring justice to all who have been wronged. I, the Lord, have called you as to demonstrate my righteousness, I will take uh, take you by the hand and gra uh, guard you, and I will give you I will give you to to my people Israel as a symbol of my covenant with them, and you will be a light to guide the nations. You will open the eyes of the blind. You will free the captives from prison, uh, releasing those who sit in dark dungeons. All right. That flow through Isaiah leads to the pinnacle in 53 
um, where the unthinkable happens and God offers up his own son in place of his people. He's going to buy them back with his own son. Uh, it says he was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weak, it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And uh, we, though, uh, and we th- thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have have gone astray or away. Uh, we have left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. This is a de- depiction of a substitutionary payment. We deserved uh, death for our sin, and God substitutes his son in there. So, I got a couple disclaimers before looking at um, some of the the verses in the New Testament. The first one is that just Without equivocation, I want to make sure everybody understands, slavery, especially what's called chattel slavery, and that's where people identify a group of people by ethnicity, skin color, uh, some kind of designator that they're, they're grouped by, and they go and they specifically take them. They steal them. They man-steal them, like we, we heard about in the Old Testament. That's, that's kidnapping, and, and that was punishable by death. That's an extreme evil, and it portrays the absolute worst of mankind. And when you think about it, it's one man saying, I am better than you, and you will serve me because I'm better than you, and you're nothing, and you get nothing. That is so awful to say to someone made in the image of God. I mean, just think about what you're saying. You're, you're nothing. You don't matter. And I can expend you as I do a subject, an object. That's just horrible. All right. This one, a lot of people struggle with. God sent his son to redeem a people, not to correct all human brokenness. Now, when Jesus came, he did some of that, didn't he? I mean, we see he healed the sick, he cast out demons, um, all these people that had these these problems got a lot of them fixed, but not many believed, right? And and Jesus could have just with a word, or even not even with a word, he could have just said, "All sickness gone now," in all of Israel, couldn't he? I mean, we saw instances where people said, "Come to my house," and he and he he didn't have to go; he just said the words. And they knew that from the moment he had said it, there was a healing. So he could have done that universally. He could have stopped all crime, all murder. He could have eradicated the Roman rule right then. But he didn't. He came to redeem a people. Now, ultimately, all of that, that change that will eradicate the badness of human, humankind has already begun. Think about us. Think about what we were. And, and what we still are and what he's changing us into, he's changing the way we live. We're making a difference for righteousness that we never made before. He pulled us out of death and uselessness and is making us useful and he's changing society. When we stand up and preach the gospel and lead men and women and boys and girls to Christ, the world is being changed. And I know a lot of people in this generation don't like to say it, but 
at a time when America was much more gospel focused, we were sending the gospel all over the world. And the world has been changed by the gospel to a great degree. Now, it's not there yet. It's not done. The cake isn't done. And that will only happen when Jesus returns. Then he'll right all the wrongs. But in this time, it's about redeeming a people. It's about extending grace to sinners. Once that time is up, when, retur- when Jesus returns, there is no second chance. There's, there's no limbo. None of those things are real. Today is the day of salvation. And that's why Jesus came, to redeem a people. Now, did he, in his, his mind, in his heart, in his plan, mean that we would change things? Absolutely. He told us, go and be lights, be salt. You get out there and be the glory of God by, by being like Christ. So I, I think he, he meant for us to do that, but he did not come to right all the wrongs at that moment in time. We've got great examples of Christians who have done amazing things to stop slavery, specifically William Wilberforce. It was like a one-man army. I know he had a a band of brothers and sisters that that were abolitionists as well, but the man was tireless in fighting uh, slavery within the British realm, which extended all around the world. I mean, think about that. That one man had such a great impact, and he gave himself and gave himself, and when he was done, he was successful, he died. I mean, almost immediately. It was was striking. Harriet Tubman, you should read some of her writings. Godly woman spoke of people being uh, made in the image of God and not to be treated like that. That drove her, what she read in the New Testament and the Old Testament. Another thing people don't give a lot of credit to is our nation fought a brutal war. Some try to say, oh, it was all about um, not letting the South succeed from the Union. And there was some of that. But from the outset, there were compromises made to make a union of, of states. The 13 colonies came together. And one of the compromises they made was that the southern states said, we won't join if you eradicate slavery. And many of the men who went along with that compromise regretted it. But they found it was the only way they, they felt they could do to keep the states together and be able to fight against England. But when the North uh, went up against the South, yes, the South had declared they were leaving, but the North said, no, now is time to keep the Union together and to fix this problem, eradicate the problem of slavery. Hundreds of thousands of men, U.S. men, North and South, fought over the issue of slavery. Don't let anybody tell you anything different. That was what it was about. I just got a little quote from Abraham Lincoln uh, in his second inaugural address. Listen to this highlighted part. Having continued through his appointed time, he now, God, he now wills to remove, and that he gives to both North and South, this terrible war. I think most people at that time realized the evil of slavery and that the war that we were fighting was because of America's sin. And Abraham Lincoln, if you ever get a chance to read the second inaugural address, do it. It's, it's really um, edifying to hear him speak like that. I don't know whether the man was a Christian or not. But brothers, uh, fathers, uncles fought each other over that issue. And we settled it in our nation. The gospel sets sinners free from guilt. 
but it also enslaves us to a good master to do righteousness. I'm going to talk about it in a couple of minutes. I'll give you a foretaste. There's a lot of uh, verbiage in translations in English that take the word doulos and translate it servant. The long and the short of it was when you do that, you, you circumvent the meaning of the scriptures when you tra- take a word that's clearly one thing, slave, and make it another. And I think we're going to see that in a minute. We were slaves to sin, dead in our trespasses and sins. God bought us. He, he went to the slave market. He didn't pick us because we were any better than others. He picked us knowing we were worthless. But he bought us with the precious blood of his son. And he makes us his slaves. And slaves to righteousness. But he's a good master. And we'll see more of that soon. All right, here's the part I was talking about. During much of the English... Um, translation of the Bible slavery was thought of as a very offensive word and it is it's as we said earlier it's humiliating it's it's sub it subjects one man to another but they replaced the word slavery with servant and it obscures some central themes in the Bible for us last year I went to the um, shepherds conference out at uh, John MacArthur's church uh, grace community and I didn't realize what he was talking about at the time, but during this study, I, I found out more about it. He mentioned that he'd written a book about um, the word slave. And here's a quote here. If you look at your English Bible, you won't find that word slave, slavery, very often. If you look at the Old Testament and King, King James, James Version, you will find the word slave once. Mm-hmm. Keep going. Oh, uh, New Testament translators only translate... Greek word for slave for slave it's when it's when it's I'm sorry when it's referring to an actual physical slave or when it's referring to an inanimate, inanimate object like slaves of sin or slaves of righteousness so there there is a concept of slavery in the scripture that's been completely hidden to the English reader now this was by design because of the word slave is most important all encompassing and clarifying word to describe a Christian use, a Christian used in the New Testament. Yet, whether a Christian or yet and what, yet whatever a Christian is in view, it's not translated slave. Let me go on. Yeah. The word is doulos. 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 In the Greek, that word means slave. It never means anything but slave. It doesn't mean servant, worker, hired hand, or helper. There are seven, six or seven Greek words that mean servant. Doulos never means servant. A servant is someone hired to do something. A slave is someone a slave is someone owned by difference and yet through all the New Testament. So I mean in the New Testament, right? Yep. And the word slave is masked by the word servant for some form of the word servant. Truly a remarkable thing. Now he's not the only one who's pointing this out. Steve Lawson, who's um, a lead leading Christian and Orthodox guy spelled out the same thing in an article I read uh, by him. Um, I, I could not find why people chose to um, translate doulos as servant or worker or hired hand, um, but it, it is the word for slave. And 
It's interesting. I, I read one article where a fellow said, after hearing MacArthur talk about this, he was a black pastor, and he says, wait a minute. How am I going to go to my church and sell this to them that we are now slaves? Because we have all these verses we memorized that say we're servants. We're servants of the Lord. We're servants of Jesus. We're servants of righteousness. But the word is slave, and redeemed means to have been bought. We were bought as slaves. And, and not only that, Scripture is very explicit. You'll see in a few minutes. It says we were bought to be slaves to God and to righteousness. This really threw me a curveball. I, I did not anticipate this. I, I didn't think about it. But um, And I'm, I'm not 100%. i got to do more study on this. But I've heard multiple people say it, that the word doulos actually means slave. It does not mean servant. So that changes a lot of things. But what it does is it also sows the theme of slavery much deeper throughout the New Testament scriptures than I think we all realized. So I'm going to go on now start getting into some of the um, redemption passages. So Jesus spoke freely about his role as redeemer. Um, I think we, we talked about this once not too long ago. Um, Jesus had, had been out <coughs> preaching near Nazareth, and he got invited into the synagogue, and he sits down to teach. And it says uh, in verse 17, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, remember we were just reading this, um, was given to him, and unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written, and the Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives, to recover the sight of the blind and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now down at the bottom, today as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. So Jesus saw the connection between what the prophets were promising of him. He sees his goal as setting the captives free. It, it's in the middle of a contentious battle in John 8 where it really gets thick here of what he means by that. John Eight thirty-one through 38? Yeah. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We are descendants of Abraham, they answered him, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? Jesus responded, I assure you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but his son does remain forever. Therefore, if the Son sets you free, you really will be free. So notice something at the very beginning of this. So the Jews said uh, to Jesus, <clears throat> if you can, I'm sorry. Uh, the Jews said after Jesus says, um, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They immediately jumped to, to slavery. And they said, we have never been enslaved to anyone. Number one, that's not true. Hello, Egypt, Moses, Red Sea. Yeah, over and over again. So they're knuckleheads like that. But notice when he talks about being set free, they immediately jump to slavery. They were thinking that. Now, he's telling them why, who, what he came to slave, uh, save people from, to buy them back from. The slavery to sin. And they jumped to, we've never been anybody's slave. Well, I would even argue at that moment in time, if a Roman told them to do something, they had to do it. Right. Or, or is punishable by, by death. It's fairly close to being a slave. 
Jesus is so clear. Everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. But look what he says. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but the son, but a son does remain forever. He's implying there, if you get freed from sin, I'm making you a son. Therefore, if the son set you free, you really will be free. The disciples, the knucklehead disciples, even got it at the end. Remember the road to Emmaus when the two guys are walking along and Jesus appears and starts talking with them and they're like, uh, are you the only one in Jerusalem that doesn't know what's gone, gone on around here? I mean, think about what they're saying to Jesus. Um, they recount everything that happened to Jesus. And in verse 21, look what they say. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Now, they, meant, they probably meant it redeemed the nation back to its status under the days of David or Solomon kind of thing. But they got the idea of buying back, that the Messiah was going to buy them back. And then he goes on and explains the scriptures all about it. So Jesus spoke freely of this whole thing about saving sinners from sin. But he talks about saving us into a new slavery that's very, very different than what we've seen before. Um, someone able to read this next passage, John 15, uh, verses 11 through 17? I've spoken these things to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command, love one another as I have loved you. No one has, no one has greater love than this, that someone should, would lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you slaves anymore because a slave doesn't know what a master is doing. I've called you friends because I've made known to you everything I've heard from my father. You did not choose me, I chose you, but I chose you. I appointed you that you should go out and produce fruit, and your fruit should, should remain, so that wherever you, wherever you ask the father my name, he will give you. This is what I command you. Love one another. Okay, notice these things. He says, you're my friend if you obey me. Now, what would it be like if I came up and said, Jennifer, if you want to be my friend, you have to obey me. <laughs> We'd all be like astounded that that would come out of somebody's mouth. But when they called him Lord, Lord is another name for master. So... They were not uncommon. They were not unfamiliar with the idea of someone being their master, and they had been calling him master. They had been calling him lord, and he was demanding obedience of them. William, yeah. If you think about it, the entire nation of Israel was enslaved to Rome. They Absolutely. were slaves already. They just didn't <laughs> buy it. They didn't buy into it. They were. They were in denial. Denial, yeah. Yeah. But they were, they were slaves to Rome. Yeah, absolutely. Now, look what he does here. He says, I no longer call you slaves anymore because a slave doesn't know what his master is doing. I called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. He's taking slaves and making them friends and giving them insight to the mind of God. Mm -hmm. Now, put yourself in a, in a household where there were slaves. The master never says, hey, go 
fix my food, do this, do that, do that. Gives him a list. Of, he never says, and let me explain why. Here's my thinking on this. If you do this, do, I, no, that's not how it works. The master would say to the slave, go do that stuff and come back and get some more things to do. And now he's saying, I'm making you my friend and I'm giving you insight into the mind of God so you understand why you're being commanded to do these things, why all this has happened. It's not just being transitioned to friend, it's now giving insight into what God's thinking. And now he takes us from useless and says, I'm going to make it so that you're going to produce good fruit. And lastly, like a child, you get the full access to your father's goods. Whatever you need in this life, according to the gospel, you'll have access to it. You're free to ask. No slave could do that. This is a a radically different kind of slavery. But it's a good kind of slavery. I know it sounds weird to even say that. In the New Testament, there's a couple places where there are some some really pivotal discussions about slavery. And Romans 6 is one of those places. And there's a lot of parts of it that we're used to talking about from the, the snippets that we've memorized, that sort of thing. But when you see the whole of it, you see what he's talking about. I'm going to read this one. So I've got 6, 6 through 7, and then 15 through 23. For we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that sin's dominion over the body may, may be abolished, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin, since a person who has died is freed from sin's, cla- sin's uh, claims. What then? Should we sin because we're uh, not under the law, but under grace? Absolutely not. Don't you know that if you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of that one you obey, either of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness? But thanks, uh, thank God that although you used to be slaves to sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching you were, tran- you were transferred to. Notice that you were transferred to. Having been liberated from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. So that's our first new slavery. We're enslaved to righteousness, which really means uh, prior to this, we had no ability to do anything righteous. There was nothing that we could do that was we could offer to God as our own righteousness. We did what we wanted, and that usually was not good. But now we're enslaved to righteousness, meaning our, our, our minds are now geared towards what is the right thing to do, what is the righteous thing that will glorify God, and I want to do that. My, my, I'm compelled to do it. I'm, I'm enslaved to do it. I'm driven to do it. That is not what we were before. Before, we were like, don't want any of that goodness. You keep all your goodness over there. I'm having fun with my sin. Mm-hmm. Right? All right, let me read on. I'm using a human analogy because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you offered the parts of yourselves as slaves to moral impurity <clears throat> and to greater and greater lawlessness, so now offer them as slaves to righteousness which results in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free from allegiance to righteousness. You didn't feel compelled at all to do it. So what fruit was produced then from the things you are now ashamed of? For the end of those things is death. But now, since you have been liberated from sin and have become enslaved to God, you have your fruit, which results in sanctification. And the end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So 
Paul really explicitly says, we were slaves to sin. The gospel broke that slavery. Jesus purchased us back. The Holy Spirit enacted upon us, made us alive in him, and enslaved us to righteousness and to God. I don't know how that sits with you. It was easier to take when it said we were servants of righteousness or servants of God. But I think it's, it's valid to say he bought us and now we're his slaves. We belong to him. But we're driven towards righteousness because he's put himself in us. If you go on and read in Romans, you'll see that's the whole transforming thing that, that happens at the end of uh, Romans 7 and the beginning of Romans 8. He injects the Holy Spirit into us so that we can now do the will of God and be like Christ. Notice that transfer from slave to sin to slave to God. Now, I know I'm not, I haven't been getting to the real tough verses yet, and I will, but I think the context helps in understanding what's going on here. All over the place, um, this idea of being bought with a price happens. Paul says it, Peter says it, James says it. When the um, apostles write their letters, and it says, Peter, a servant of Christ Jesus, that's the word doulos. He's saying, Peter, a slave of Christ Jesus. When James says it, he's saying he's a slave of Jesus. Jude says the same thing. Paul says it throughout. They are owning their slavehood. We've softened the blow by calling it servant, but it says slave. They're owning, that they're owned by God. All right. What's so terrible about that? (laughs) Well, it's an interesting thing yet, and I'm... I don't understand why they, why they translated servant. I, I know that from what MacArthur and what Lawson said, they studied it out and people felt that translating it servant was more acceptable and less offensive. I mean, when you say slave, it implies all the things that we think of as bad, and yet God is good. Chris? Do you know when they translated that over? Like, was there an earlier English version that included it and then they just decided because of <coughs> society and the changes that they decided to change it? And, or it's not clear on... What, yeah, why would Tyndale or King James have a problem with slavery? It was a long way off before it was... Well, it wasn't really, Jim, if you think about it, because people were... Um, they were slaves in the sense of... What was the term for people that worked on somebody's land? Um, oh. serfs. serfs, serfs, which is a, a variant of servant, which comes from slave. Um, so they were well uh, accustomed with the aristocracy of the high living um, up here and having servants. Everybody knew what that meant, mm-hmm. and nobody liked that idea. I think, especially those that were exposed to the gospel. Um, MacArthur said that all of the English translations. Even the King James uh, went to servant, except for the Holloman um, Christian Standard Bible. So I've been using that throughout just to make it stand out a little bit more. Um, I don't know why they chose to do it, but they they made a point of it. Maybe their understanding of the word was quite different than ours today. I mean, we keep finding that over and over again in all the lessons, that what they understood when they heard this was totally different than what we understand 
So the only difference I can see is there wasn't a lot of uh, chattel slavery in this period of time. There, there was in the sense if you conquered a group of people in a war, you take that people and you'd either slaughter the men or you'd bring them in as, as your slaves. So they are grouped ethnically by those that fought against you. Um, but it wasn't like targeted. It wasn't like saying, hey, in Africa, there's a group of people down there that are, are meat for slave, they, slavery. They're, they're fit for it, which is what the world was saying. And I'd go one, one step further and say that the, a lot of the mindset of uh, the early evolutionary thinking looked at Africa and saw those people as subhuman. And nobody likes to talk about it, but I mean, even Darwin in his book, he, he wrote the whole thing about the origin of species, and the subline in the title was something about um, the placement or the, the position of, of the African as a subspecies. And so they, they started rationalizing in their mind that these aren't really humans. Juan. Yeah, um, I can see how the presentation of the gospel will be um, also affected to group of people in different uh, nationalities. I'm talking like a Mexican. Perhaps when we uh, come to the United States as an immigrants, and all of a sudden we get presented to the gospel telling us that we become slaves. Yeah. That might just be so shocking that most of the people presented for the first timers just walk away. I am not. And it's unacceptable. There's so much stigma with the word slave, but think about the New Testament. Who were these things written to? The predominance of people that were being saved were slaves and women. They were the ones who saw the captivity and said, I can be set free, and they understood set free from sin, which Mm -hmm. is going to give you some context for the hard verses which are coming next. But I get what you're saying, and that, that's why I said earlier there was a, a conference where MacArthur had talked about this, and black pra- pastors approached him later and said, how am I going to sell this to my people? Mm-hmm. Phil? And the two different types of slavery we've been talking about are completely different. Mm-hmm. So it may, maybe it makes sense that they put a different word in there. They're slavery to Christ. Well, they're, there's nothing, there's they're, they're both they're the same kind of thing, Phil. Think about it. No, Whether not. you chose them because of their race or you captured them, the, the standing of the slave. They had the no rights. Slavery to Christ is totally different than the act. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, you're right. The, so slavery to Christ is entirely different. Word. I don't know. <clears throat> Ed, what do you think? Yeah, one more comment. Um, so, being a slave is just one of several descriptions of who we are as believers. We're children of God. We're friends of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're members of his body. And slavery is one aspect. You don't really find it developed until you get to Paul's epistles, yes. which are written to Christians. Yes. Even though we have redemption in the Gospels and so on, the focus ought to be that we are delivered from captivity to the devil as well as to sin. And I think right. Satan needs to be in there because yeah. he has his possessions in peace. Too. That, that analogy, a, a, a strong man must go in and who's stronger than the strong man and, bind and, set, him. and take his uh, goods away. Yes. And that's a picture of Jesus delivering his people from Satan's thraldrum, his kingdom. You know, so this is, I don't think we need to 
tiptoe around this. This is something that ought to become beautiful to the Christian. Amen. As he grows in grace, that he belongs to Jesus Christ who redeemed him. We, there's no one we would rather be completely given over to in our will yeah. than him. Yeah. To do his will. And I'm a, I want to be a complete captive of him. There's nobody else I want to be enslaved to right. than Jesus Amen. Christ. So, I mean, it's, I think it's how we present it. Yeah. I think you're exactly right, and I was going to go there and say, think about the first slavery that we fall into. We're born into it. Satan tricked our, our forefathers and mother into giving up their freedom and indenturing themselves permanently as slaves to sin. And, and what did he give them for it? He never had good in mind for them. No. Satan never meant it for good. He just, misery loved company. He wanted to try to steal glory from God and, and show the rest of the universe, the watching universe, how powerful he was. But he never meant any good for any of us who were his slaves. And what was going to be the end of it? Death. Permanent death, separation from God, torture, eternal. Now, contrast that with being a slave to Christ. God says, I'm going to pick some people for myself. They're useless right now, but I'm going to buy them. Oh, by the way, I'm going to buy them with the most precious thing I have. My son's life. That's just staggering to think that these wretched beasts that we are would be valued by God such that he would give his son. And then when he buys us, he buys us, and we're slaves, then he declares us his friends, his children, heirs of the kingdom, equals all amongst each other, no matter what our social strata was. The, the mind-blowing goodness of being a slave to a good master like God, it's hard to even say these words, and I'm, I'm sure someone's going to take issue with it when they hear it on, on the recording, but God takes a bad thing and makes it good. Mm -hmm. I, I think you said it well. I, I want to be owned by Jesus. What a great thing to have such a wonderful master who provides everything for us and then adopts us as his children. And he didn't have to. There's nothing that we did where he said, okay, Phil, you're good enough now, I'm adopting you. I mean, it started at the outset from the moment he chose us. He went to the slave yard, picked slaves. He went to the uh, nursery of the orphans and he picked out orphans. Um, we were dead in our trespasses of sin. He made us alive. It's just staggering. Okay, so that still leaves us with these hard passages. And we're not going to be able to do a lot with them today, but I'll, I'll do a little for you. I'll read one of them to you and tell you that this is basically <clears throat> what he said. I think the Ephesians one is probably uh, the most applicable one. Slaves, obey your human masters with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. Don't work only while being watched in order to please men, but as slaves of Christ. Do God's will from your heart. Serve with good attitude as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he will receive back this back from the Lord. And masters, treat your slaves the same way, without threatening them, because you know that both their, <clears throat> their master and yours is in heaven, and there's no favoritism with him. There are multiple places where Paul and Peter, um, I think it's just those two, address slaves as a thing that exists. 
they they don't try to abolish it. They don't say run away. They don't say slavery is bad overtly. They don't say uh, as Christians we ought to abolish it. But he says whatever situation you find yourself in, look at the one on on, uh, 1 Corinthians 7 there, bottom line, uh, 24. Brothers, each person should remain with God in whatever situation he was called. Now, we're all called from different places, right? Some were called as hippie drummers in bands, right? Uh, Some were called when they got here from Mexico. Some were called after they had cancer and, and had a massive hip operation. Some were called when they were in prison. So we're all called from different states. And he says, obey where you are. Yeah. I mean, to, to argue against it for Paul or them would have been to say, God, you made a mistake. Yes. Because this is God's providence. They are exactly where he wants them to be to get what they need to get and when he's going to redeem them. Yep. So you're going against God, really, to, to do that. Absolutely. It might be that the Bible translators at the time thought the word doulos, slave, was so offensive, like your black pastor that you used as an illustration, that they put servant to make it more palatable for people to hear, yeah. which is wrong, but that might have been what they thought. Yeah. I agree. I, I wanted to close this out with this little clip and then this little um, verse from Acts seventeen twenty six. This is Paul on um, the hill. Um, Mars Hill. Mars Hill, thank you. At one point he says, uh, from one man he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth as determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. God set it up. And we might look and say, I wish I hadn't done this. I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I wasn't in this situation or that situation. He set our times and boundaries. He determined it. Jim, Jim, you were spot on. If we say no to whatever circumstances we're in, we're saying we know better than God. Now, I think that Philemon actually undermines slavery quite a bit. Because he says to him, you no longer receive him as just a slave but as a brother. And then later on he goes on, he says, he's a co-worker with you in Christ. Now, remember, what scripture did they have at the time? They had primarily the Old Testament. And what did they know from the Old Testament? If you're a Jew, you can't make a brother Jew a slave and treat them like a slave. So he says to Philemon, he's no longer just your slave. He's your brother. Hint, hint, wink, wink, nod, (laughs) nod. You can't treat him like a slave. I think that that was a subtle way of Paul saying slavery needs to go and within the context of the Christian environment it can't survive in the way that it has. It won't. It's not allowed to. It violates all of what God's commanded us. Thank you for joining us and listening to this Sunday School session. For more information, visit our website at www.graceprovidencechurch.org